Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of All Things Iceland. It's Jules, and I have a special series of episodes that I'll be sharing this week about Greenland. Yes, I know that might seem a little random, but I'll explain. And in fact, I'm calling it Greenland Week because inclusive of this episode, I have three episodes all together that I'm sharing. You might be wondering, like I mentioned earlier, why I'm sharing about Greenland. Greenland, when I normally talk about Iceland, and the answer is pretty simple, at least in my mind, both countries have amazing nature, and you can get directly to Greenland from Iceland in a short period of time. So if you ever want to visit Greenland, or you are now intrigued about the idea of going there, you're definitely in for a treat this week. I visited Nuuk, Greenland specifically on this trip, and that's the capital of the country in mid-February, so dead of winter. Yeah, it was cold, but it was an amazing time. In the past, though, I just have to say I have visited Greenland before, specifically East Greenland, so Kulusuk, Dasilak, and the interior of the country. And yeah, that was for nine days altogether, everything, in 2018. That was also an incredible experience that made me curious about Nuke because East Greenland at least in my mind, it's like stepping back in time. Other people also you know, agreed that it's sort of like a time capsule because you get a glimpse into a much simpler way of living. Plus, the towns are quite small. For example, Kulusuk has around 200 people living in it. And even though major industry-wise in Greenland is fisheries, it's interesting to see it on like this scale, which is so much smaller, smaller boats, and just, like I said, simpler way of living. On the other hand, though, Nuuk is a modern city that kind of made me feel like I was back in Iceland, which was bizarre. And I was not expecting that. And as I go along, you'll definitely hear more about my experience and what made it feel like that for me. I do, though, want to talk about how I set up this episode. So in essence, I will share some insight about Iceland versus Greenland. Not in a competitive way, though. It's more about just learning about each destination and their unique aspects. You might be surprised to find some of these facts out about Iceland versus Greenland. I know I definitely was. And there are also some things that they have in common. And that's, again, of course, the nature part, which I don't necessarily talk about, but still there is so much here and, well, there and here, <laughs> I'm in Iceland, that is interesting to me and I absolutely love it. Then I'm going to share my experience in Nuke like sort of a blog style of talking about what I did each day because I didn't end up staying very long and I will explain why and what happened, but this will at least give you an idea of things to enjoy if you decide to travel there. Lastly, like in every episode, I have a random fact to share along with an Icelandic word of the episode and a Greenlandic word of the episode because, you know, it's Greenlandic week, so why not? The other two episodes about Greenland are interviews I did with two amazing Greenlandic women. One of them is named Eka, Greenlandic activist working to reclaim the culture in Greenland after the country had been colonized by Denmark for hundreds of years. She's also a strong advocate of Greenland becoming an independent country, so you can hear some insight into that. Currently, Greenland is considered a district of Denmark or part of the kingdom of Denmark, if you will. The other interview was with Josefa. She's also Greenlandic. 
and grew up in Nuuk and has lived in Denmark and Iceland as well. I mean, Eka also lived in Denmark, but I especially want to talk to Josefa about her experience living in Iceland. She, like Eka, is multi-talented and she's also is guided all over Greenland. So it was nice to get her insight about fun things to do there. She performs mask dancing, which is a tradition that Greenlandic people have been reincorporating back into their culture. She's a photographer, all these things. So it was really fun to get these two different people and their perspectives, as well as just, you know, just some more insight in general. But before jumping into the differences and similarities of Iceland and Greenland, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this episode, which are Visit Greenland and Visit Nuke. I will have links to their websites and social media accounts. They, especially Visit Greenland, they have amazing footage of Greenland that will definitely make you want to visit immediately. And I know I enjoy following both of them and learning more about the capital and of course about Greenland in general. And it was just really a fun privilege to be able to work along with them. And I also want to give a special shout out to Josefa who helped coordinate this whole trip. So I highly recommend following her on Instagram where she is child underscore of underscore the underscore Arctic. All right, so let's jump into these differences and similarities. When it comes to land mass of each country, Iceland comes in at around 103,000 square kilometers or 39,768.5 square miles, whereas Greenland is 2.16 million square kilometers or 836,330 miles. Both are islands but Greenland is considered the largest island in the world. Landmass of each capital area is also super interesting to me. Reykjavik is 273 square kilometers, and that's around 105 square miles, where Nuuk is 690 square kilometers, or around 266 square miles. Ice coverage. Now, the names of these countries would lead you to believe that the one with ice in the name would have more ice coverage, but not the case. Over 80% of Greenland is covered in ice, while only 11%, 10 to 11% of Iceland is covered in ice. Similar to Greenland, around 80% of Iceland is uninhabited. So that 80% of Greenland that's covered in ice, no one's living there. And in Iceland, it's more like the highlands. This area makes up a lot of that 80%. And so no one lives there. It's not a very good area for people to inhabit. And so like Greenland, people are living near the coast or just in areas where they are able to actually have fertile lands and things like that. The population in each country, Iceland is now at 387,800 people. And that is as of January 20th, 2023, where Greenland has 56,000 500 people. <laughs> so huge amount of area that the country makes up and yet a very small amount of people that live in the whole country. The population each capital, Nuke has 19,261 in the capital area, whereas in Reykjavik there's 245,000 people, which is a large chunk of the country that lives in the Reykjavik area. And if you think about Greenland, the whole of Greenland, right, is like I mentioned, 56,500 people. Four times that amount, give or take, 
live just in the Reykjavik capital area. <laughs> so again, it's just very different in this way regarding how much area there is and then how much people are inhabiting. And it's really hard to believe, like seeing these numbers sometimes when I think about it, but it is what it is. Geographical location-wise, Greenland is technically on what we might consider the North American continent. And the only reason why I say that is because it's on the North American tectonic plate. And I would say like a large majority of North America is on that plate. About two-thirds of Greenland lies within the Arctic Circle. And Nuuk is about 240 kilometers or 149 miles south of the Arctic Circle. Iceland straddles the North American and Eurasian tectonic plates. So that's the Mid-Atlantic Ridge that you might have heard me talk about if you heard me say anything about Reykjanes Peninsula or Thingvetlir National Park that runs through the middle of the country. So Iceland is kind of like split in essence or could split in two if there wasn't all this volcanic activity. There's a very small piece of Iceland that is in the Arctic Circle and they're really far north. And so that's also really interesting too, just knowing that you know, a lot of a lot more of Greenland is within the Arctic Circle, which is not terribly surprising. But still, it's, you know, fascinating to realize that they have those differences. And you'll see in temperature, too, how that plays a role. I thought it was really fascinating to talk about animals. So in Iceland, there's like whales, Arctic foxes, birds, horses, sheep, fish, seals, Arctic reindeer, and an Icelandic sheepdog, for those who might not be aware of that. Whereas in Greenland, the variety of animals is definitely more and also potentially dangerous. So muskox, Arctic hare, walrus, Arctic fox, Arctic wolf, Arctic reindeer, a Greenland dog, which I learned today, sheep, seals, whales, caribou, a Greenland shark, birds, and occasionally polar bears who drift over on ice sheet. And of course, when that happens, they end up killing the polar bear because usually if it's been on ice sheet long enough, it's very hungry and will more than likely attack. The languages spoken in Greenland are Greenlandic, Danish, and English. And in Nuuk, you'll find that a lot of people speak English quite well. Almost everyone can speak Danish to, um, to a fluent degree. And a great deal of people speak Greenlandic. Now, Greenlandic is written in many places. But it's interesting how, and you'll find this out in some of my interviews, about how not every generation of those growing up in Greenland have learned Greenlandic, even though that is the language of the country. Might sound baffling, but this is again kind of what happens when there's colonization and suppression of like culture and things. In Iceland, the national language is Icelandic. And then of course, over 90% of those in the country speak English. You might see some signs sometimes in Polish, but that's pretty rare when you think of how Icelandic and English are the two main languages that show up. All right, on to weather in the winter and the summer. So Iceland, summer here can range from 5 degrees Celsius, so 41 degrees Fahrenheit, to 20 degrees Celsius. Granted, 20 degrees Celsius is being very generous with the possibilities because the average high is around 16 degrees Celsius or 68 degrees Fahrenheit. The average winter temperatures in Iceland are usually ranging from negative 5 degrees Celsius or 23 degrees Fahrenheit upwards to plus 5 degrees Celsius or 41 degrees Fahrenheit. 
And that's depending on where you're located. So the farther north you go, usually colder temperatures. Average in Reykjavik is usually around freezing. Greenlandic summers are a little colder than Iceland. (laughs) And I'm saying that kind of in jest because it's not expected that the temperatures would go above 10 degrees Celsius. So don't expect much in even like 60 degrees Fahrenheit. However, it can and has happened that temperatures have gone upwards of 70 degrees Fahrenheit, a heat wave practically in Greenland. They probably felt that way. That's rare. So don't bank on that happening, but you never know. And then during winter, the temperatures really can drop. Sometimes they'll be negative 20 degrees Celsius or negative 4 degrees Fahrenheit. And it wouldn't be surprising if it goes lower. During my trip, it did actually go lower sometimes, but often it was like negative 13. <laughs> like, you know, not as bad. This means, of course, that layering up is a serious thing. You have to be really careful because it's so much easier for you to get potential frostbite in a place like this. And also just in general, like taking your hands out of your gloves to you know, use your phone or something could result in you feeling discomfort. My Loba Pesa, as well as my layering system, came in handy, as well as hand warmers. Oh my goodness, those were the best thing, the best investment, honestly, I made were hand warmers. And if you're going to go to Greenland in the wintertime, I highly recommend getting some because, yeah, it they really saved my fingers from falling off, to be honest. I actually used them. I'd have them in my pocket. So if I ever needed to take my gloves off and, you know, I was flying my drone or doing something else, then I could put my hands back into my pockets immediately I didn't go right into my gloves and just hold the hand warmers and it kept my hands from, you know, becoming too stiff and cold and numb. It was really, really helpful. Daylight hours for Greenland and Iceland, they're actually pretty much the same. Uh, And Greenland does get the midnight sun that Iceland gets in the summertime. So from every May 25th to July 25th, the sun basically stays visible throughout the day and evening, just like it does here in Iceland. And the longest day of the year is June 21st, or like summer solstice. And that is an actual holiday in Greenland, whereas in Iceland, it's not a holiday per se, but people do like to acknowledge it because it's the longest day of the year. The main industries in Iceland and Greenland. So in Iceland, it's tourism, aluminum smelting, and fisheries. Those are like the bigger industries. Technology is really coming up as well. Whereas in Greenland, in terms of like exporting or, you know, creating a product, it's fishing. One thing I wanted to talk about is insects. So for the most part, you don't have to worry that much about insects in Iceland. In the last two or three years, we've had some little biting flies in the summertime in the country, like in the countryside, but that's during summer and it's not everywhere. So I'm not sure how that's going to pan out. As we go forward, because for so long we were used to just not having any insect to worry about. But alas, something has shown up. (laughs) At Mivat, though, this lake in the north, there are always these midges. And literally, me means midge. So it's a small fly. They don't bite. They're just very annoying. And they get to, like, into every orifice. So wearing a fly net or having it with you if you're going to go to that area of the north is always important. But it's a small area. Whereas in Greenland... It is known that in Greenland, during the summer, the mosquitoes, the Arctic mosquitoes, which sounds even more terrifying because mosquitoes in the Arctic, why? (laughs) They show up in abundance during June and July. Those are like 
peak times. It's also peak summer, of course, right? Everybody wants to come out and play. A mosquito net is a must. <laughs> like I don't even, I can't even explain to you. When I was there in summer, luckily it wasn't so bad, but definitely have that and then strong repellent. And everyone's, you know, in essence doing the same thing. There is this hack that if you're anywhere around sheep, the mosquitoes do not bother you. There's something about sheep that the mosquitoes seem to not like. And yeah, so maybe traveling around with just a sheep with you might <laughs> solve your problem. Of, of course, I'm not really meaning that, but it would be kind of funny. Currency-wise, in Greenland, the currency is the Danish krone. Well, because it is part of Denmark. And in Iceland, there's, you know, Iceland has its own currency, which is the Icelandic kroner. There are a lot of artists and musicians in Greenland, just like there are in Iceland. Not as world know as world known, maybe as some of the Icelandic artists, but it's definitely a big part of the culture. And there's really cool murals and things like that as you like drive around Nuuk. So definitely heavy on the art, art expression, singing, things of that nature. When it comes to transportation, this one is probably one of the most fascinating to me. So in Iceland, you can easily drive between towns. Like there isn't this idea that like, oh, of course, if the roads are closed due to the weather, but, you know, you can hop in a car and if you want to go to Salvos, you want to go to the north, whatever. The highlands are a different story during the winter time, But in the summertime, if the roads are open and you have the appropriate car, you can go into the highlands as well. This is not the case in Greenland. While there are plenty of roads to drive in Nuuk, so the capital area, there are no roads, zero that connect towns in Greenland. It's not possible, or at least not as of yet. I mean, I guess a lot of ice would have to melt in order for that to happen. So to get to different towns, you often are having to hop on a boat, on a plane. Some people have a helicopter ride they can take. And yeah, that is, in essence, how you get from one town to the next. And I was, when I was in Kulisuk and we went to Dasilak, we definitely were on a boat. And boat rides are really fun. You can potentially see whales, icebergs. I mean, it can, of course, be a little bit chilly, but it is a really fascinating way to have to get around. So my last kind of comparison here, or at least is a big similarity between the two, is that both of these countries were ruled by Denmark. Denmark ruled Greenland as a colony for over 300 years. And as I said, it's no longer a colony, but it is still part of the country. Iceland was ruled by Denmark for over 500 years. And so it was a colony of that country as well. Icelanders don't really say it as a colony, but in essence they were. And I mean, I could, I, I've spoken about this a little bit in other episodes regarding how Denmark impacted Iceland in a way that was a disadvantage to Icelanders and kept them in an impoverished state for quite a while by like cutting them off from who they were able to trade with and things of that nature. So yeah, well, maybe Denmark was considered, quote, a soft, you know, colonizer, unquote, to Icelanders. It was still, in essence, they were utilizing their power for sure to keep them from being able to have their own say and do business and trade, which was and has been necessary for the Icelandic economy. On to my trip to Nuuk. So I feel really fortunate to have experienced this last month. And after visiting, I knew right away. In fact, when I was there, the first thing that came to mind for me was that I want to go back. I definitely want to go back in summer. So I'm just putting that into the universe because it was incredible. It's just so beautiful. And one fascinating thing to point out is that 
like I mentioned, you can fly directly to Greenland from Denmark or Iceland. So I well, actually, I mentioned about Iceland, but it's only two locations is either Denmark or Iceland. And of course, since I'm based in Iceland, it meant that I and of course, others who live here or visit can hop on a plane and be in Greenland within a few hours. It literally takes three hours to get to Nuuk from Keplavik Airport. So in my opinion, it's a great idea to come to Iceland, spend some time here, maybe like a week or 10 days, if you have that, of course, and then go over to Greenland and spend time there. Like it is, yeah, this is a really epic adventure that you can go on and experience. Originally, I was supposed to arrive in Nuuk on Saturday, February 11th and leave on the 18th. However, there was a terrible windstorm. I mean, talking about like gale, hurricane, gale force winds that resulted in all the flights in Keplavik Airport being canceled. So, of course, I didn't leave that day. My flight was then rescheduled for Monday, February 13th. But then there was a small storm that had led to delays. And of course, they were already making up for delays from Saturday. So it was like, okay. They rescheduled my flight again, and I was flying on Air Greenland, just for those who might be wondering. So I ended up arriving in Nuke on Valentine's Day in the evening at around 5 p.m. And due to my schedule back in Iceland, I couldn't stay longer. Like I was offered to stay longer, but it would have been too long for what I had in terms of obligations back in Iceland. So I had to keep my departure date of the 18th. So in essence, that left me with three full days to pack in as much activity as I could, and I definitely did just that. So the plane, uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a visual there, has, at least when I was on, had 37 seats, <laughs> so not a large aircraft at all. And I think because there had been so many delays, there were probably people who either pulled out a flying or whatever because there were very few people on my flight to Greenland from Iceland. And I loved that looking out the window, I could see the snow-covered mountains and the ice cap, like the glacier from the plane. And when I left Iceland, there was no snow on the ground, like literally zero, which is, you know, not unusual that we have, in essence, a false spring. And it was a stark difference to see, you know, brown kind of ground that where the snow had all melted in Iceland to just white, gorgeous, snow-covered mountains. And then when you're flying in, you see some of the houses in Nuuk, and they're very colorful, so it also provides this really nice contrast that I enjoyed and was picturesque. So flying in is also a great experience. And, and same with the summer, I remember that too, just seeing all like how the mountains look so rugged and everything. When you get off the plane, you walk from the aircraft to the terminal building. It was a very cold negative 15 degrees Celsius or around, I think it's like negative five degrees Fahrenheit. So I could feel the cold right away for sure. And uh, I'd like to say it was refreshing for like the first few minutes. <laughs> but and I say that because it's not like you get off the plane and you're right in the terminal. You have to walk from the plane to the terminal. And that was fine. You know, it wasn't like I was going to freeze my butt off doing that. But that was only because I was prepared with, you know, the clothing that I had. And the airport itself is so small. And I just love the fact that when, you know, since there weren't many people on the plane anyway, we got our luggage. It was probably on the smallest luggage conveyor belt that I'd ever encountered. Like, it just almost looked like a joke because, and I'm not making fun of them, but just more of like, it didn't really go around that much. It was, it was just tiny. 
and I thought it was cute. So I took a picture of it because why not? Accommodations wise, I stayed at the Hotel Aurora, which is a lovely hotel nuke that leans heavy into the theme of the Northern Lights. During the day, so when I arrived there at night, I couldn't see it. But during the day, when you look at the building, it actually has the color of the Northern Lights on it. And it sort of changes color as you move, which I thought was fun. And then if, like the carpet, you know, it was the Northern Lights. Like they just, they just leaned in on it. I thought it was nice. Nice little touch. Seeing how Greenland is also known for having lovely Northern Lights that you can see. The room that I stayed in had a nice size bathroom, queen size bed on one floor. And it actually had like a loft area with another big bed. So it could be a space for four adults or a family. They have complimentary breakfast every day. Not necessarily a lot of things that I could eat because I'm plant-based, but they told me it was more than fine for me to store some of my food in the fridge if I wanted to. After arriving at my hotel, I was already on the schedule. So I basically changed my clothes and then ran out to meet Yosefa. So she had been coordinating some things. We went to a dinner at a place called Kitlut, and I'm sure I'm not saying this correct. It's it's, it's Greenlandic, but um, I'll have it written at least in the show notes. And I didn't actually eat there, but I was just meeting up with them because it was Valentine's Day. And so it was nice to kind of just you know, meet with her. And it was like her husband, her child, and one other person who was on this trip also experiencing Greenland and going to be talking about it. You know, he's um, from... Poland, Piot, I believe his name was. And it was nice. It was kind of like been the evening, chatting with them. And they didn't have any plant-based items on the menu, actually, for that day because it was their Valentine's Day dinner. But I still enjoyed the company. The next day, though, I did have breakfast at Pascucci, which is a restaurant in Nuke City Center. And Nuke City Center is, in essence, a mall in downtown Nuke area. And they have a vegan falafel salad that was so good. I I like the vegan food there so much that I actually ended up going there a few times during my stay. Mainly because it was just easy and meaning like I knew where I could get good food. And it's not that common to find many vegan items on menus, at least not right now, in different restaurants in Nuke. And I was aware of that. So it wasn't something that like, it was disappointing or anything. It was like once I found something that I liked kind of just stayed with it. I was only going to be there for a few days, so it didn't bother me at all. But I will say that shopping the food markets was a pleasant surprise to see the varieties of fruits, vegetable, nuts, chips, and so on. Like, it reminded me of Iceland, honestly. And there were actually even Icelandic produce that was being sold there. So Iceland exporting their produce to Greenland. So when it came to food choices, I didn't feel uncomfortable at all. Because I knew that I could hop over to the market if I needed to. And I also had my own stuff that I could make. I couldn't cook anything in the room, of course. I didn't have a kitchen. But I had like, you know, I bought raw veggies, salad, nuts, and other foods with me. And I also packed some protein shakes and meals from Huel. Now, they're not a part of any you know sponsorship. But they have these meals where you can pour hot water onto them and just leave them sitting for five minutes and then you have like vegan mac and cheese or it's like really high protein it's supposed to be nutritionally a complete meal so I used those you know whenever I needed them but actually I didn't need them that much because I was able to get a lot of stuff that I wanted in the stores but uh, if you want to look into it I do actually think that their food is tasty and like I said I'd been to Greenland before and on that last trip in 2018 I knew I had to pack stuff and I just treated Nuke the same way just in case. So I had plenty of options. 
And if there was a restaurant that had something that I could eat, then I ate there just to kind of make my life a little easier. Of course, along with my interviews that I did, I spoke about earlier, I also did other fun activities. I had a lovely time at the hot tub and spa run by Inuk Hostel, which is owned by Inuk Travel. They have a hot tub and sauna with an incredible view of the water and the mountains. So nice. So I enjoyed soaking in that for part of my afternoon. And then after that, I ate the cafe. I do have to say that I also went into the cold tub. And what was so funny is that they actually, before they allowed us to go into the hot tub, they had to take the block of ice because they had left the water in the cold tub the night before and it just completely froze. So they had, and it's a huge block I'm talking about, like, you know, I don't know, larger than I was expecting, that was sitting on the like patio area where they have the hot tub. And I was like, oh, what is that? And then I looked at the tub for the cold water, the cold dip. And I was like, oh, that was literally taken out of there. And they just poured in fresh water. <laughs> so yeah, I did the, the cold, you know, tub and that was refreshing. We'll just say, <laughs> but it was nice to have the hot tub right there in the sauna. And the sauna is incredible. The view again, it's just, and the glass stays pretty clear. Yeah, it was very nice and relaxing. They also have what they're calling at least like um igloo. It's a part of like an area where you can sleep. It's only rented out to like, you know, one or two people. I didn't experience it, but it was at least something that people can look into if they're interested in it. After having lunch at their cafe, I then was fortunate to get a driving tour of Nuke by Magnus. So he's one of the employees at Visit Greenland. And he provided some insight on like how much Nuke has changed over the last 30 years. And there's a lot of construction going on there. It was actually surprising to see because the more traditional buildings that you might see in photos are like the colorful buildings sitting on the hillside. But in contrast to that, you then have these new developments, which are high-rise buildings. So on that evening, or during that evening, though, I then interviewed Eka. And then I went back to my hotel to be ready for the next day. I was pretty exhausted, but also stoked because I was going on a boat trip. Regarding getting around, I do want to say that you can easily walk around Nuke, at least in many of the locations. And where I wanted to go, there were a decent amount of times, though, because it was so cold that I was like, I'm taking a taxi. <laughs> and I was tired. Like there were things that were happening that maybe I was you know, doing a lot during the day. So on average, I paid around $9 to $12 per taxi ride, which I didn't think was that bad. And yeah, food, on the other hand, though, was expensive. And my, my falafel salad went for around $26. And while I was very full after eating it, it was still a decent amount of money to pay. And of course, in the store, because everything is being imported into Greenland regarding vegetables and stuff, those can be quite expensive too. So that Icelandic... Veggies I talked about, I was looking at the price of a cucumber and it was $2.87 for a cucumber. <laughs> In Iceland, it's way less expensive, of course. But still, yeah, I mean, that's just the life of an island where they have to import so much. My second full day started out with a boat tour to Konok. And I apologize if I'm not saying this correctly to any Greenlander who is listening. But it's an island and I went with Nuke Water Taxi. And this island was a fishing settlement for many years until the inhabitants were essentially made to leave because workers were needed in Nuuk. So they were just like, 
you got to get out of here and come to the main land or, you know, main area to provide services there. And the settlement was abandoned for years before the houses were turned to summer homes. There are some people who do live there year round. And our tour guide was saying that sometimes, but often it's orphans who are living there who've been sent away for not behaving well. So basically like take them from nuke to this more remote location where maybe they can connect with nature and get more recentered or something like that. I was like, okay, I'm not sure exactly how to, <laughs> uh, how do I feel about this? But, you know, they have their own system in terms of, I'm sure it's meant to be holistic helping of these kids to be able to behave and be part of society. Plus, I'm sure there's plenty they're dealing with if they're orphans. There had um, been a lot of snow in the days before we arrived. So walking around this island was definitely an adventure. And I have to say, like having wool socks, and of course really good boots, but wool socks really helped me keep my feet really warm and dry. And that was mainly because when we were walking, there were times where the snow would almost get up to your knee. Like it was intense. <laughs> a good workout though. And the island's not that like that all the time. So, you know, just don't expect that necessarily. And it took around an hour, I think hour and a half on a, on the boat. And it wasn't very choppy waters or, or stuff like that. So I thought it was actually a really fun ride. And just note that there aren't like these regular docks for you to get off. Normally when they're letting you off the boat, it's just on the island somewhere on a rock that looks like a good place to get off the boat. And then you get back on similarly in a location like that. And that's the other part of Greenland that's also really fascinating to me is that they're just making do with what they have. And it, it's a very rugged adventure, but so much fun. So one of the places that we went to on the island was an abandoned fish processing building. And it was eerily beautiful because all the windows were gone. And the surprise is that there was a swing inside of this building. So you could swing on it and have fun. <laughs> in an abandoned fish processing facility. After touring the island, we eventually got back on the boat. So we were on the island for about an hour. Then we stopped by this gorgeous frozen waterfall before heading back to Nuke. We didn't see any whales this time, but we did see an eagle and it was huge. First, it was perched on top of this hill. And from a distance, when you saw it, because of how large it is, you almost could mistake it for a figure of a person. But then it must have seen some type of prey because it ended up leaving and its wingspan was insane. <laughs> and it was just really majestic to watch this animal go on about flying in the air. A random share, and, and I'm sorry for any of those who do own dogs like this, but it's happened that small dogs, like say a chihuahua or something around that type of, you know, size, have been snatched up by eagles in nuke, so in the city. Well, maybe you like let your dog off the leash or something and the eagle just comes and swoops it up. So the owners of some of these dogs sometimes put jackets on them that have spikes to try and protect their small furry friends from becoming an eagle's next meal. So I arrived back in Nuke in the late afternoon or so and decided to get some food because I'm starving from kind of walking around the island. And then I headed back to my hotel. My last full day in Nuke was definitely packed as well. So I started out with an interview of Yosefa. And even though I had been at dinner with her the evening before, she has a small child. 
and we needed to find time during the day when her kid was at daycare to chat. So I went over there. And then after that, I headed to the art museum and the National Museum to learn about Greenlandic culture. Both museums are awesome, and I highly recommend checking out both because of the incredible archives. One highlight from the art museum was seeing the carvings done in the walrus skull and tusks. And then, of course, like these really beautiful paintings. There's, there's, it's not a very big museum, but you can definitely walk around and get a lot out of it and learn about the evolution of art in Greenlandic society. And then I went off to the National Museum, which I didn't have as much time there as I would have liked. I did get through the whole thing, but I could have spent easily another hour there just reading through all things. But I loved seeing the National Greenlandic outfits on display and the Inuit mummies. Yes, there are mummies on display, like real, well-preserved Inuit mummies that look surreal. And one of them is also a baby. Oh, well, at least like a small child. It was pretty sad. But yeah, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And after that, I had to do some filming outside, so I couldn't you know, stay there as long as I'd wanted to. Then grab some cool souvenirs from my family at Anori Art, which is a, maybe a five-minute walk from the museum from the National Museum. And there, like my mom likes to collect dolls. Uh, so whenever me, my sister, or herself go to different countries, she likes to collect a doll that's in the National outfit. And so I, I found her some things like that and then got some other souvenirs for family members. One surprise part of my day was that Eka is friends with a Greenlandic shaman. And she like connected me with this person and her name is Rakel. Now in Icelandic, it's Rakel. In Greenlandic, it was a little bit different, a little bit harder to say. <laughs> and so I just kind of left it. I'll, I'll just say Rakel, but I apologize for not saying it the correct way. And she explained a bit about her journey to embrace her shamanic roots. So she comes from a lineage of shamans, but had been suppressing it because of Culturally, it it really been pushed out into like the fringe and and considered something that you just don't do, mainly due to colonization and a lot of Greenlanders being forced to give up a lot of practices or do them in secret. And so I actually have a clip of her talking a bit about her experience. I'll, you know, I'll play that just so you can get a little bit of an idea of what I'm talking about. I don't, well, um... The situation was that we were not allowed to speak about shamanism. We were not allowed to tell anyone about what our abilities were. And I grew up with lots and lots of stories and I was told just be quiet. Mm -hmm. We talk about it at home when we are together and that's the room where we have space for this. And I kept on asking my mom why. Mm -hmm. Why do I need to say, stay quiet? Why do I need to silence myself? Because this urge within was just growing more and more. Eventually, I just stopped asking and accepted, well, nobody understands us. Mm -hmm. So it was about accepting, well, the world isn't magic for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of letting go of a piece of myself and as the years went by it got worse and worse about this feeling of tiredness and feeling like well 
my life isn't adequate for my well-being. But that's how the world is today. And if I step outside the lines, I am told to step right back in Mm -hmm. and to be this odd bird (laughs) in this, you know, to be the raven amongst the small birds. You, you, You just feel out of place all the time. Yeah. And not being home in myself, in the world, I just got worse. Yeah. It got so bad that I didn't want to live anymore. I couldn't cope with having no heart, no room for my heart in this world. And I am sensitive. I am highly sensitive. I sense differences in the way people breathe. Mm. So I can sense them as they walk by. I know stuff. Yeah. And to keep on letting, you know, I started to hurt myself instead of accepting that water is alive. The air we breathe uh, touches you, you know. So um, I got cold within. And when I actually succeeded in not living anymore and came back, I was like, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. The world has ended for me. I have nothing to lose. Yeah. And every step from then on was back to life. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. That journey, picking up pieces of myself, pieces of my own blood, my ancestors, my culture to take those steps back to that little girl who said why and the answer was well we are not allowed to have a culture we are not allowed to say we are here and we have a right to be here as Mm -hmm. we are as the culture we have right we didn't even we weren't even allowed to have our names so today we're getting it all back piece by piece yeah yeah and that is the main goal for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's worth, worth all of the hard experiences. As you heard, she had quite a transformative experience on her path to fully embracing shamanism. And while this might not be something that is of interest to many people, I thought it was really fascinating. And after that... We were on a drum journey together. So in short, a drum journey is when she plays the drum in a rhythmic way that puts the listener in a trance and you have vision. So you're just, you're laying down with something covering your eyes if you want. And while she's playing, you have like these visions happening. It's really fascinating to say the least, an experience I will never forget for the rest of my life. I've actually shared it with some of my family members, like what I saw, and they were pretty amazed by it and intrigued. And there were no drugs involved, just FYI. This is totally, you know, I just showed up and spoke to her. And then we did the drum journey. And from there, it ended up being, I thought, really insightful and interesting. So if going on a drum journey is of interest to you, and you would like to meet a Greenlandic shaman, then I'll have a link to her Instagram account in the show notes. I think she also does, I think she's also doing virtual ones, but... I enjoyed the in-person one very much. So the last thing I did that day, on my last day, was to meet with my friend Ella. So she grew up in Nuke and is really lovely. 
And she lived in Iceland as well for some time. I only got to see her the last day because she had been sick. She has two small kids. And we became friends after working at the same company in Reykjavik. So it was really interesting that a Greenlander and a New Yorker somehow became friends working in Iceland. <laughs> so, and it was just great. And we ended off like having dinner and chatting. And since my flight was at nine o'clock the next morning, I basically went back to the hotel room, packed and went straight to bed. And that was in essence my trip. I unfortunately did not see the Northern Lights while I was in Greenland. It was really cloudy the nights that I was there. But I've been very fortunate to see the Northern Lights in Iceland many times. So that wasn't something where I felt like a make or break for my trip. But it still would have been nice. And maybe next time if I go in the winter, I'll be able to see them. I hope, though, that this gave you some ideas of what you can do. Like I mentioned, it was only three days, so not a lot of time, but still Things, a lot of things were packed in there, and maybe this might even intrigue you to visit during the winter. There are, of course, other parts of Greenland that you can visit during the winter and do different activities. But I just want to thank again Visit Greenland and Visit Nuke for sponsoring this adventure and podcast episode for the random fact of the episode. So, all the cities in Greenland have old Danish names that were used before, and the Danish name for Nuke. Now, I'm not going to get this right. I know I can already see it, but <laughs> Gotthop, and that means the good hope, which is when you fly. So, which makes sense because when you fly to Nuke, the code for the city is G-O-H. And that could be confusing to some people, but like, because that could be confusing to people because you might think to yourself, it's Nuke, why not N-K or something or N-U-K? But now you know, G-O-H is the actual code for that city, at least it is for now. The Icelandic word of the episode is how to say Greenland in Icelandic, which is Greenland, Greenland. And then the Greenlandic word of the episode is one that many have heard, but I'm also going to give the singular and plural of the word. So the first is Inuk, Inuk, which is singular for a person who is of the Inuit people. And then Inuit is the plural. And now I learned this because I was always referring to Inuit. And then when I wanted to use plural, I said Inuits, which makes me sound kind of silly because I'm already using the plural, but I didn't realize that. And I think, you know, just being so outside of the culture and really not knowing, it was a great learning lesson for me. But I think I said it in a video, like a Instagram story when I was in Nuuk. And someone who is an Inuk sent me a message. Really sweet, really helpful, and just meant to be educational. And wanted to just let me know that Inuit is the plural. So if you didn't know that, now you do. And if you did, awesome. I'm glad because I was very happy to have learned it so I could say the correct thing. Just remember that there are two more episodes coming up this week specifically about Greenland. And I hope you check them out because they are so insightful. I thoroughly enjoyed doing those interviews. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.